I'm your host, Helen Delthwit Teasdale, and welcome to Brass Evolution, a show where we explore the rich culture and history of the brass banding world. This episode, I'm chatting to Ray Farr about his research into the Distin family and their extraordinary influence on the beginnings of the brass band movement. Well, welcome, Ray, to the podcast. Um, I don't think there'll be many in the brass band world who don't know who you are, Ray, but for those who don't know who you are, could you give us a little introduction to yourself? My name is Ray Farr. I'm um, yeah, getting on now. I'm 75 years old, but I've had a fantastic uh, life in music. Whereabouts are you living just now, Ray? Give us the highlights. Start from the, start, start from the end and work, work backwards. Okay, then. Sure, uh, why not? Well, I, I'm living in Oslo now in, in Norway, and uh, the weather is really bad, but banding continues at a very high level, both in brass bands and wind bands. Um, I've got a little bit to do with brass bands, but not as much as I'd like, because over here in Oslo, it's more wind bands. Um, they are, you know, quite fanatic. There are hundreds and hundreds of, of wind bands in Norway, all supported very well by a national federation, the NMF which is government-sponsored, of course, and um, they're doing a great job. Are you conducting any bands at the moment? Oh, yes, of course. On a regular basis, I have a wind band down in Tunsbeck, the other, the other side of Oslo, and we're rehearsing um, uh, hard now of, for the national championships in a few weeks' time. And they're doing very well, actually. The, the band is in uh, second second division, um, but playing very nicely. Yeah, it's, it's a joy to work with them. Let's see. Of course, last weekend was the National Championships for Brass Bands. Uh, that was held in the Greek Hall in Bergen. And I'm still very much involved with that and knew all, all the bands and all the, all the players by name. In fact, that's the, that's the challenge of a weekend like that, is to try to remember people's names as soon as they, uh, they appear in front of you. So I'm, I'm in Oslo and you're saying, well, why are you living in Oslo? Well, I'm kind of semi-retired from full-time teaching. And... Um, before that, I was freelance conducting, freelance conducting because of the miners' strike in Grantham, where I was there for, but was it ten years? I was with with the Grantham Caravan. That was a full time job. And before that, I was in the BBC um, as a trumpet player. So I've had a couple of careers. We're going to talk today about your research into the Distin family. What got you started on that journey into research? Okay, well, let's go back a little bit. So I mentioned the Grimes of Connery Band, and I was the conductor there. When the money strike came, no income, so I had to go freelancing. And uh, I had a wonderful time freelancing for about 10 years around the world. And then one day I got a phone call, and, uh, and I was in a, in a hotel. I got the phone call from this gentleman who said, Hello, are you Ray Farr? My name is Lord Foster, and I'm talking to you from the Houses of Parliament, and I know all about you. And my heart raised a little bit, and I thought, what the hell is going on here? And he said, well, don't worry about it. It's all flattering. It's all very good news. Uh, would you be interested in a job, a position at Durham University? So I said, yeah. I mean, my freelance career was going actually very well around the world, as I said, uh, but mostly in Norway. Uh, at a very high level, some professional bands and orchestras. It was great. But a full-time job is not um, very secure. You know, people can cancel and last minute and suddenly have no income. Uh, so a full-time job with Durham University was very attractive to me. And so I decided to move over there with the family. 
the job was tailor-made for me. I was teaching conducting and arranging. And uh, somehow the um, the boss, the, the big man at uh, the university made, uh, made, it, made a budget for me and gave me a lot of support to put on some super concerts, as well as combining with a freelance career conducting Reg Fardy Band and some other bands as well. Um, so I had, that was just wonderful for 10 years. At the beginning of the um, adventure, my uh, head of department said to me, now, Ray, at university, you have to provide some academic papers. What is your research area? What will you be researching and writing on? I said, well, I have no idea. And research was the big the big word in, in, in university, uh, what it still is. And they said, "Well, give it a give it a little time. Think, but you have to you have to do some research into something." And I thought, "Well, brass, of course, brass bands. That's my that's my passion. That's where I come from. I, I mean, I started playing the cornet when I was about six, and my dad, uh, who died just a couple of years ago, he was playing and conducting to the age of one hundred. So he was, and he was a big inspiration to me. So I'm, I'm very much from from a brass band background." And my uh, my grandfather, I was looking at a picture yesterday. Uh, both my grandfathers were in the in the Harryford Salvation Army band, and uh, which dates back to oh a lot just just before nineteen hundred. So brass bands are my roots, and so that's that's the area I ch- I chose to um, to research. Now uh, researching it, when you research something, you have to read everything. You have to read all the books on the subject. And there's Trevor Herbert and Roy Newsom and uh, Al Myers and lots of people. I mean, I don't know if you can see behind me. There's a whole stack of uh, a whole stack of books, all on brass bands, early brass bands, the formation and uh, the early influences, the music they played, the people involved. I loved it. I really did love it. And I was getting some sponsorship as well from the university to actually do this, to study for a master's degree and to to research in my own subject. The master's degree actually went on to be a PhD. So just last year, I became a doctor. I'm a doctor of, uh, of music, having studied the um, the Distin family, which was the, the central focus of my research. Well, congratulations. I feel Thank like it's much. been a long journey for you in this research field, but you've got oh, there in the end. You've got the certificate. That's right, yeah. But but as I say, this is my third career. Before that, it was uh, full-time conducting, and before that, full-time playing. But the researching is now a passion of mine. And even though I've I've got the doctorship, I'm still researching. I keep I keep going on, going on with it, because it's, it's fascinating business, you know. I'm finding um, scores. Brass band scores, original manuscripts from 1855. Would you believe? I mean, really, really. And wow. these are all these are all from, um, yeah, from my research into the distance. Could you give us a little overview of the family and the members? Yeah, sure. It's a long story, uh, but I'll try and cut it a bit short. And as I say, I've been researching this for many years, and it's uh, it's a passion of mine to to looking into the subject deeper. There was a man called John Distin who was um, born in the uh, in the southwest, the Devon and Cornwall area, and um, he was uh, inspired by the local military band that came along to his to his um, his village, and uh, and he, he started to play the bugle, and then the key bugle in about uh, eighteen hundred and ten uh, became like a melody instrument for a lot of bands, the keyed bugle. Uh, at that time, there were no 
cornets as such and no horns and things. Uh, just basic keyed instruments. And, of course, the trumpet, the natural trumpet, which he also played and became a star. He joined the Grenadier Guards when he was only 16 years old. Um, so he really was a prodigy at that time, John Distin. Uh, his career went on, so he became renowned as a as a, a trumpet player, natural trumpet player. The, all the Handel and uh, d- difficult Bach, high register pieces. Um, but unfortunately, his uh, his band was made redundant. Uh, the prince who owned his his private band uh, sacked everybody, so he was without a job, and he moved to Scotland. And he became the bandmaster of the Tamworth uh, band up there, which is a, a small military band. I've been up to the castle. It's fast, fantastic to have a look at that, uh, that where, where he was with his, with his band and his four children. He had four sons and he taught them to play first on uh, basic instruments like the natural horn and trombone. And then they emigrated to uh, some, some more sophisticated instruments which came around at that time. Okay, so they, they, they formed a quintet and were concertizing around Scotland and around Britain. And they became quite famous. In 1844, they went on a tour to France. They were offered an engagement for about six weeks, uh, playing in the local theatre, uh, uh, you know, just uh, as this quintet. And they used to play um, uh, orchestral and opera repertoire in a very sophisticated manner. And it was very attractive to many people to, to be involved with in a high music-making level. Uh, but in 1844, when they were in Paris, they met Adolf Sachs who was just at that time inventing his sax horns. You know, he had a set of sax trombers, sax horns, and saxophone. Of course, we all know about the saxophone. Adolf Sax was um, himself a bass clarinet player. So he took his bass clarinet mouthpiece with a reed in, put it into an offy Clyde, which has, you know, keys, and suddenly he's got himself a sax horn. But, so it's not a big leap, but it was his invention. And the Saxons grew in, uh, grew as a family, and just at that time, the Distins, John and particularly Henry, were very interested to take um, take on these instruments into their group, which were much more homophonic. And then, yeah, they they created a storm with these new sax horns, and I just happened to have one here. My, my instrument collection followed my research, you know, as well as the collection of music and recordings, if I could find some. But uh, the sax horns were very, very prominent at that particular time, so much so that a band called Mosley uh, bought a set of eight or ten, ten, I think it's ten instruments they bought uh, from Henry Distin. Henry Distin was the second son, and when the group started to fold down because John the father's, his lip was, um, was going and his teeth were falling out, it's true, that's what happens, you know, if you drink too much whiskey, your teeth fall out. Stayed in Scotland too long, perhaps, yeah, right? <laughs> it could be, it could be. Anyway, so his, um, John Distin's career was 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 declining, and Henry could see that this was going to be the end of the trip uh, for their uh, for their concertizing around the world. They went to America and Canada and France, Germany. Some talks about Russia, but I can't find any evidence about that just yet. Anyway, I'm still looking. But... Um, Henry Distin, the second son, was keen to take over the family business and started a manufacturing company in London in 1850. Still some playing going on. Uh, in fact, uh, Henry Distin got hold of these sax, sax horns and made, made his own sax horn group and a vental horns 
uh, flugelhorn union, and he was doing everything to pr promote his own make of instruments, actually to get away from the sax name. A little bit of a side there. To get away from the sax name, he changed the name of um, the tenor sax or the alto sax. I mean, Adolf Sax invented the alto sax, but to get away from the name, Distin called it a tenor horn. It isn't a tenor horn at all. I mean, the tenor horn we have in brass bands is an alto sax horn. That's what it is. At, at the beginning, they were forward-facing, and then they were upward-facing, sideways-facing, backwards-facing, all kinds of designs on these um, on these sax horns. But when the Mosley Band uh, took over this, this set of 10, they won the, ch the first ever Bellevue competition in 1853, which is just only three years after Henry Distin was starting to manufacture these instruments. And because they won the competition, a lot of bands who were playing ad hoc instruments, a, a variety of natural instruments and often Clydes and, and, and very, some weird and wonderful instruments, because they played this homogenic set of instruments, everybody wanted to follow suit. So a lot of bands were converting then to sax horns, and that is the beginning of brass bands. So, I mean, it all goes back, you know, when they said, Ray, what are you going to research? And the beginnings of brass bands, that's it. And my theory, my, my, um, my theory was to prove that the sax horns uh, promoted by the distance were really the, the start of brass bands, uh, and that's been a real fascination for me. Can we just talk a little bit about the family's influence over publishing? As they seem to have influence in nearly every sphere of amateur brass band music making. It was Henry Distin who was keen to make money, of course, make a profit, but also promote the name of, uh, of Distin, which he did extremely well. The Distin Company became one of the biggest in Europe. And um, he, he went on with um, designing instruments and, as you say, publishing and in 1868, he sold his company to Boozy. So we all know about Boozy and Boozy and Hawks and Besson. Well, they were only very small fry in comparison to Distin. It was when Distin sold his company in 1868 to Boozy that, um, that things escalated for that particular company. The publishing company didn't, um, didn't do too well compared to um, R. Smith, for example, or some of the other big bigger names. Boozy and Hawks actually had their own publishing company which then took over brass bands brass band publishing but um distance had their own style and it's really fascinating to find some of those early scores a lot of it has been lost actually there's one piece which has really been uh, unfortunately lost in 1855 the you know i told you about the mosley band winning the first ever bellevue contest but in 1855 there was a test piece and it's this was called orinthia Okay, and this was composed by um, one of the organizers, James Melling, who'd been around for several years and thought it would be a good idea if all the bands had on an equal playing level the same piece to play, as one as one own choice. And he composed this overture called Orinthia. It's lost. Nobody can find it. I've been searching and searching. I even put on the, uh, on the web and on the British bands a reward for £100 to anybody who could find this score. It hasn't turned up. I'm still searching for it. But my theory is, my feeling is, that Distin published this, and I found in some of his brass band scores some of the pieces that were played around that time in mass band concerts, even in the 1855 mass band performances that they had at the end of the contest. There were pieces there published by Distin. 
And I wonder, did, did, did Henry Distian actually publish Orinthia, the first ever brass band competition? Uh, I'd like to think so, but I can't prove it. Well, here, we've, we're shouting out now. Go into your band libraries and have a look and see if it's there and get in touch with yeah, okay. if you I'll, find I'll, anything. I'll still, the, the offer for £100 is still there. It'd be amazing if we could find it, oh, wouldn't it? Oh, yes. I mean, it must be out there somewhere. Well, in. you would think so, wouldn't you? I know. I hope it still survives. I mean, some of the band libraries I've been in, I think they've still got the music. If they're in situ and they own their own band hall, they'll still have music from when the band was founded. Wow. So it might be out there. Who knows? Well, that's good. <laughs> Just keep looking. But one of the things I one of the things I found is in in the museums and libraries, uh, in the Edinburgh Library. I, I took some time up there to research, and I found a very very nice um, uh, from eighteen fifty seven a, a a product book, a list of pieces and with photographs from Henry Distin. That was great, eighteen fifty seven, and then since that I found this uh, this other one from eighteen fifty five. Great, great, wonderful to find this. And sometimes the pictures come up, you know, not photographs, of course, because this is just, just really in the early stages of photography and recordings, of course. But um, some great, great um, associations and pictures of, of uh, Jules Levy, for example, and uh, the Distin family, some of them. The imagery comes alive to me. And in researching, I, I, I find out what pieces they played, and I sort of make, uh, I listen to them, listen to the extracts on Spotify, for example, listening to the operas, discovering all the kind of pieces that they would be playing and recreating those scores uh, myself. So that's that's a lot of fun too. Ray, you touched on some of the research that you're currently doing. Is there anything in particular that you're researching just now in terms of the distant family? Well, there is, yes. Uh, I mentioned earlier one of the horns that uh, Henry Distin invented i say invented because in those days there was no patent and there was no copyright so henry Distin would 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 get an instrument from france or somewhere and copy it just downright copy it and, and it's just travesty really but he did and that's and he would put his name to it and say this is my new invention anyway one of the instruments he um, he invented in commerce was called the ventil horn it looks like um, it's basically a sax horn, you know, and they're in different sizes from uh, small ones to big ones. I've got one in the post coming from America. How it ended up in America, I don't know. I'm researching the early stages. I mean, I've already had a bit of information on the ventil horns, but um, uh, I, I want to know more about it. What instruments there were uh, in, in terms of pitch or how they played. I'm going to be playing it myself in a small group. and. Um, what uh, what music they used, uh, what pitches they were. That, that That's really important. They, they look like uh, the modern tenor horn and brass band, but more circular. So they're, um, you know, in a small version. Let me show you. So this is a, this is a ventil horn. Um, a so I'm just going to do a little description there because yeah, so sure. it's very small, Ray. Well, of course, it's a whole family, like the sax horns were a family. Right, okay. Uh, and the, the, the sax horns is the basis of, uh, of the modern brass band. But this is the ventil horn. You can see it's more circular. But the, this is the small one. This is actually pitched in high C. And, of course, you get them going lower in B flat and E flats and A flats, uh, right down to the very the, the huge, the huge ones, all kind of circular. Conical bore, sounding a little bit like a, a flugelhorn, a soprano flugelhorn. Or, actually, I played, I played an E flat one 
in, in the Reds Valley Band. We used to we used to get the players to um, to play some of the antique instruments down there in a little group, and you couldn't tell the difference between one of these Ventil horns um, and a modern uh, tenor horn. You know, basically they're saxophones, conical bore in different pitches. Can we just talk about your instrument collection and how it interacts with your research? How many instruments do you have, Ray? Oh, not so very many. Uh, one, two, about ten, I think. One of them's a real, a real like the original saxophones, which were forward-facing, but they're all made by distant. You, you, when you're researching, you have to make uh, you have to make burrows. If you're not careful, you can just get carried away with one small topic, and it leads you totally down the garden path to another direction. You know, you have to s- stay with your subject, focus on it. And so, I, my focus is on the distance. I mean, there's so many interesting things I could look at in connection with distance, but you've got to draw the line somewhere. Look at this one. Ready? Wow. So we, is that a, so? Is that forward facing? So this oh, is a yes. pocket okay. corner. Oh, yes. Okay. Wow. Uh, it's a po- pocket, just a pocket corner made by Henry Distin. And you can see his logo there. Actually, the logo wow. was designed by N.W. Jackson because they were friends, N.W. Jackson and, and Henry Distin. But this is a pocket corner. I mean, just it's just for a novelty reason. It, it doesn't play so very well. It's okay. My dad used to like playing that. <laughs> because of the time period we're talking about and sort of innovations and inventions in musical instrument making, there must be some very wild and sort of fantastical instruments out there that manufacturers were sort of experimenting. Have you seen any sort of very strange looking ones? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. The the valve was interesting. You know, the, the way that the valve started, we all play a perine valves now, but in the beginning it was Sturzel. And before that, Berlin valves. Um, a lot of influence in Germany. And then, of course, the, the, the valve is in two forms. One is with the piston and one with the rotary. Some, some people say the rotary valve is more efficient. My own thoughts are that I, I actually went into designing my own instruments with a, a flugelhorn. And I'm in partnership now with a guy called Chris Waters. Uh, I don't mean to push my own products here, but I am interested in designing uh, brass instruments following all the information and the research I've got. Where can people find out more about your work, your research, um, and what you're up to? Well, the website is pretty pretty full. There's um, uh, the website rayfire.com. I wrote a book on conducting, and that's actually all on the on that website. It's free. It's out there. You can just have it. A book on conducting uh, with some very nice extracts from the Fishburne Band. They, they were very. They were great to work with. There's a book. A, a lot of information on my research with the distance, with the instruments as well, and some music and some history things and some recordings. So it's all on the, all on the website. Fabulous. I'll put a link to the website and also the um, sort of Distant Diaries document that you've put together. That's, on, that's ongoing which, as well, um, by the way, as ongoing. Yeah, the editing, I think, yeah, as more research comes out that's from yourself. It. So thanks, Ray, for your time. It's been fascinating. And the amount of information that's on the website is just astounding. So thanks Pleasure. again. If you like the podcast, please help it to grow by liking, sharing, rating and reviewing. You can also support the podcast by leaving a tip or buying a perk, including asking my next guest a question or getting a shout out via fan list. Link in the show notes. Podcast music is Mephistopheles, performed by the Illinois Brass Band.